so we'll watch that now. Hi, I'm coming to you from Naples, Florida this morning. This is the park right next to the beach where we actually had an incredibly beautiful sunset memorial service, sunset service for my brother Jim. It was amazing. And as is kind of perfect, we ended up with tornadoes last night about 5.30 in the morning and it's caused all kinds of things and somehow that's just perfect for me because that's about how I'm feeling. That beautiful sunset and the tornadoes and all of that going on inside. But I'm doing well. I want to thank you again. I just want to just, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Uh, and yet another one of the ways in which God is just so in control. Uh, I called up my catch. I prayed and I said, who's what's supposed to do this next sermon? We found out the memorial was going to be so quick, and uh, Mike Hatch came to my mind, and I called him, and I said, Mike, would you do this, and do you have anything on your heart? I was thinking maybe he did, and he said, boy, I really don't. I haven't been thinking about it, and I just felt like I was supposed to press in, and so I said, well, you know, uh, could you really pray about it? And we talked a little bit and everything else, and we kind of hit on something. I could kind of tell that maybe God was in it, and that there was some good stuff going on. And then, uh, yesterday, uh, I did the preach call with him, and it was after the memorial, and I just, he found something that I don't think I would have ever found, honestly. Uh, it, 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 wait till you hear it. It just has to do with community and love and God, and, and just in a way of this theme that we have for the year of simple obedience. And he just found, like I say, a thing, or God found, and is through him bringing a piece of this puzzle about how, why, what God does and why this simple obedience thing is so important. So with all of this going on, I, I just, again, I wanna thank you and I just can't wait for you to hear what God has to say through Mike. God bless you, I'll see you next week, love you. Thank you. <clears throat> it's so cool that Kurt does that, records little intro videos for us. Um, thanks for letting me be with you today. Th this is my church family. Uh, if you don't know, we've been here um, off and on uh, for 17 years. We spent a couple of years away, um, but God really called us back to this place. This is the place that we find community. This is the place that we find him growing us into the people that he wants us to be. And I'm so thankful for you and for what Kurt is doing in this church because that's what he's been doing is Kurt has been saying, let's raise up people. Let's let the church be the church. Let's let, instead of paying professionals to be here and do it, let's empower the body to be the body. And I kind of represent that here today. Kurt called me on Monday, as he described, and asked if I would speak. And of course, my heart goes out to him. I wouldn't say no to him because what an awful thing to lose another brother within a year. Huh? That's really challenging. Um, I actually want to lift up a prayer for them right now. Lord, I just ask that you would be with the Bronk family, that you would encourage them and provide them hope, and that they would see the good. Uh, that they can look forward to a day in eternity when they will see Jim again. And the loss that they feel and the sense of self that they've lost because they've lost a brother and a, a father and a friend that you would bring comfort upon them, Lord. And we thank you uh, that you're working in and through him and that you'll do the same here in Jesus' name. <clears throat> 
my talk is about simple obedience, as Kurt described, and maybe the subtext would be choosing to obey even when we don't understand why. That's a pretty hard question, isn't it? Like, God, how do we do the thing that you're asking us to do even when we don't really understand why you're asking us to do it or we don't understand the circumstances of, by which you're bringing the circumstances to us? Um, I would tell a personal story about simple obedience. And it, I go back a little ways uh, in my marriage. Uh, there was a time where Chantel and I struggled a little bit in our marriage. I think every marriage kind of goes through their ups and downs. And I'd say this about five to seven years in. And there came a point in time, without going into any kind of details, where um, we weren't sure whether or not it was going to work. And that, that was the last thing that I had ever expected. We were both Christians. I, I believe the marriage is for a lifetime. And so for us to be facing that kind of circumstance was really unsettling to me. Just shook the ground that I stood on. And I didn't know what to do. So this was an example of these circumstances where, God, you want me to do, I believe what you want me to do. I don't understand what's going on. How do I make a choice? During a short period of time where we were separated for a couple of weeks and I just was pressing in and asking God what it is that he wanted to do and what he wanted me to do. And that he came up upon me so strongly and helped me recognize that I love my wife. I love him and I was pressing into what he wanted and I was just overwhelmed with a sense of, I love Chantel. So I'm going to go forward as that's what you want. I'm, I'm going to choose that. The world and people around me would tell me all kinds of different things and some of it was very confusing and many people are not able to make that kind of choice in that kind of circumstance, but I just pressed in. And I went back, and no, no promises that it was going to work out. And then I just trusted God from that point forward. And he did amazing work. When I pressed into the love that he was showing me and the love that I had for her, it began to change our relationship. Again, amidst very difficult circumstances. And I hope today that that's the kind of thing that God will help communicate to you uh, through what he has shown me about simple obedience and how do we choose to obey even when we don't understand why. Uh, Philip Pertain is going to pray for us this morning. Philip, go for it. Father, we just thank you so much for the, the message that you've put on Mike's heart. Lord, I pray that your words would just come out, that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be open. They would, we would hear what you have to say to us. Lord, that we would be ready, that we would receive, and that we would, be, we would respond accordingly. Amen. Father, let, let Mike be free to just release the words that you have, that you would speak through him, that it would be your words, not his. Yes. And Father, we lift up Eastside Foursquare as well. Uh, while they're at service, Lord, that you would just speak there as well, that you would keep that body uh, together and uh, knit tightly. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise, all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Phil. <clears throat>
Uh, you might see I'm going a little upscale today, huh? A couple of people have said something to me about that. Uh, this means something to me. If many of you don't know me uh, or haven't talked to me in the last couple of years, you'd know that I've been singing a lot. Um, part of a barbershop chorus, and you know, I have a quartet that we sing in. This is kind of the outfit that my quartet wears. And so for me, this actually represents something that I wear when I'm coming to entertain people and bring joy to people through the joy of, of singing. And so I thought today, you know, that's, this is what I want to wear because I want to bring some joy to you today, uh, not because I'm trying to raise the scale of, of the quality of the outfits that we wear here. Um, I think I might have started the untucked shirt thing here a long time ago. I don't know. <laughs> but um, anyway, so simple obedience. Um, as I began to press in, and ask God what it is that he wanted to say about obedience. Of course, the first thing that came to my mind, maybe not of course, but um, the human journey uh, and what we're here for. Like the grand question, right? What is my place in the world and why am I here in it? What is, what is my purpose for being? Really to understand any choice that we make and any action that we take, we kind of have to have a worldview right? So um, how do we find our purpose for being? And how do we learn how to be the creatures that God wants us to be and make good choices? And of course, I could talk a lot about what that means in terms of God's purpose for salvation to bring us back into relationship with him. And I will talk about that. But I'm really going to talk more about, okay, beyond even just a salvation experience, which is certainly a very poignant part of what I'll talk about today, but even every day. How do we choose to do what God wants us to do in the light of the world that we know, in the light of eternity? I'm not really going to talk about um, how to find out what the thing is in the moment, right? We've talked about that a lot, and you see pressing in into prayer and asking God what it is that he wants you to do is a very circumstantial thing. Um, so I'm not really going to be talking about how to figure out what the thing is, because that's unique to our circumstance, but rather, what are the principles by which we can choose to keep doing right and acting right, or acting out of what God seems to do, even when we don't even know if it's right? We don't under, understand what God is saying to us, and how do we walk into that? That's, that's what I would hope to communicate today. Um, so I would maybe redefine obedience a little bit. Choosing to be the creatures that we were made to be. In a worldview of Christianity, God has created this universe so that we could be free beings and have choice and that we would then experience a life of seeking out the truth and him revealing himself to us and then choosing to come into relationship with him. And then after that, every choice that we make and every action that we take is about his kingdom and what he's trying to do. And it's something that he foresaw from the beginning of the world that he wants us to achieve. <clears throat> but it's really hard. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it if it wasn't hard. We don't, there's these circumstances. Serenity last week talked about difficult circumstances and how to remain full of hope, and how to make good choices in the midst of circumstances that, that come upon you that you don't even understand. Like Kurt's facing today with the loss of a brother. How do you deal with that, that kind of circumstance? <clears throat> and we can't really always understand why. And the first thing that came to my mind as I thought about this topic was, um, okay, well, our Western mindset, our culture would say, I will choose to act when I have understanding. 
I, I'm not gonna move until I understand why, and so I'm gonna wait and not act until I have the understanding, and then I'm, once I know everything about the thing that is that he God's asking, then I'll do that. Um, but I realize that that isn't what God's asking us to do, and we can't understand everything that he wants to do before we choose to act. So how do we figure that out? How do we enter in? Uh, the other problem and the reason why it's hard is because we're a bit confused and we want our own way, right? Part of choosing God is choosing something else over us and we are pretty intent on what we want most of the time, right? We're, we're really individualistic in our Western culture and we want to do the thing that's good for us. We want comfort, we want peace, we want entertainment. Um, and God doesn't demand it. He gives us the freedom every day to choose whether or not we're going to do what he's asking, to follow him, to have faith in him. Uh, he doesn't demand that. <clears throat> we uh, replace and remove God from our lives so that we can do what we want. And very often because we just want to do our own thing. And so we're confused about the truth we're confused about the world that we know. Uh, a couple examples that I would give in this vein, um, I, I'm part of a group called Reasons to Believe, which is a science and faith think tank. Um, I'm the president of the chapter here in Seattle. We meet every couple of months and go through a video. And this last week, we looked at a video of a guy named Fazrana who's on staff, and he's a biochemist, and his journey to faith by looking at biochemistry, and he saw the design in the cell and the DNA, and, and he told this testimony. We have this atheist that comes to our meetings very regularly. His name is Bob. Uh, he's a great guy. I, I love Bob. I thank him every time he comes to our meetings because he starts asking these hard questions and takes a lot of attention. Like the whole room is like, like giving their answers to Bob the, almost the whole time. So he takes a, a little bit of focus, but I think he keeps us focused on really good questions. If he wasn't there, we would talk a lot about kind of maybe esoteric Christian things and science. And so I, I love the fact that he's there. But this week, um, he was arguing with us because we were talking about all these things from science and the cells design and DNA. And at one point, he just said, how can you even claim to know how to make choices because of that? Because you're not scientists. You don't understand biochemistry. So why don't you just accept what the consensus view says. That's what I do, he says. And I, I thought about that. Lots of guys were kind of arguing with him about it, and I realized two things. One was there's a fallacy in belie believing the truth comes out of what everybody believes, right? That just because everybody believes something, that doesn't mean that it's truth. That's one reason we're confused. It's complicated, and because a lot of people believe something doesn't make it true. And the other one was um, back to this idea of why we're here. What does God call us to do? The grand journey is discovering why we exist, what's the purpose for our lives, and what are the choices that we need to make from that. And in um, looking at the world that we know, there's sort of two books. Uh, and this is what Reasons to Believe would talk about. Two books, the book of nature, the world that we see, the universe, physical creation. That's God's creation. It testifies of who he is and the book of scripture. God's spiritual revelation and what he's doing in us. And those two things testify of who he is. And if they're in conflict, then we have to kind of look at our interpretation of one or the other and try to figure out what the truth is. 
Um, and, and that's the human journey. So, sorry, Bob. You know, we're, we're, we like science, and in the group that we're in, we enjoy plumbing these questions and the new discoveries that come out, but that, we believe that, that we are given an intelligence, an ability to reason and logic, and we can look at those things. We don't have to be university-educated uh, biochemists to be able to understand the results of those, those things. So that was one kind of interesting example, maybe, of the confusion that we face. The other would be an article that I found this week. I had posted it on Facebook. Some of you might have seen it. Um, that was really interesting, and it talked about the, the hypersexualization of our culture. And it was really sort of mourning the fact that every relationship we have seems directed towards some kind of sexual thing, and that we get so confused because of that. And, and the author put out this hypothetical example of two guys who just happen to meet, and they have shared common interests, and they really like being with each other. And in the culture that we know today, at some point in this relationship, just recognizing how much they really enjoy each other's friendship, there would be questions of, wow, okay, I really like this guy. What does that mean? You know, am I, am I gay? Because I like... So the priorities are focused on a, a goal of sex. And that's a natural result, maybe, of an of a atheistic evolutionary paradigm that just says survival of the fittest, Right? We're creatures that evolved, and those that survive are the ones that have the best survival characteristics. And so here we are today, human beings exist because we know how to survive better. And procreation then is about multiplication and survival. And so it's sort of a logical outcome of an atheistic uh, evolutionary worldview to say sex is sort of a pinnacle objective of every relationship that, that we have. That kind of makes sense, but that's confusing. And this article was highlighting this confusion that might exist. Why can't the idea of just friendship, uh, a philos love rather than an eros kind of love relationship be a goal? And then we wouldn't be maybe as confused about that. So um, there's another example of where we look at the world that we know, we make conclusions from the worldviews that we hold to, and we get confused, and we don't necessarily know what the right thing is. We don't know how to act. Uh, the scripture talks about this in a couple of, uh, lots of places, but it, it, Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And even more poignantly in Proverbs 14.12, there's a path before each person that seems right, but in the end, it ends in death. So what do we do about that? If our choices matter in our worldview, if God exists, he's an ultimate truth out there, and so the choices that we make are important. Uh, actions are important, and how do we choose what to do when we're maybe deceived a little bit? We're confused. Uh, another example of this um, would be in light of eternity. We get a little bit confused or focus on things that don't really have God's objective in mind. And it, so in this light, um, there's a video that was going around this week, uh, at least that came across my Facebook a uh, number of times that Francis Chan uh, has done or some people have posted where he talks about eternity. And so I thought it'd be good for us to take a look at that uh, and see what his perspective is on eternity. Now imagine that this rope is a timeline of your existence. 
You just exist forever. You see this red part? This would represent your time on earth. You've got a few short years here on earth, and then you've got all of eternity somewhere else. This is, this is your existence. And what blows me away is some of you, all you think about is this red part. It's all you think about. You're consumed with this. You go, oh man, I can't wait till here. You know, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to save, save, save so I can really enjoy this part right here. <laughs> and you're consumed with that. And you're thinking, oh man, I'm going to get to travel. Am I going to eat well? Am I going to do this during this part? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about this? What about this? What about, th what about all this stuff? It's, just, it's crazy to me because the Bible teaches that what I do during this little red part determines how I'm going to exist for millions and millions and millions of years forever. And, and so why would I spend this little red part trying to make myself as comfortable as possible, enjoying myself as much as I can, Paul says, look, I'm going to live my life for this mission. I'm going to spend my life, invest my life for this moment when I cross that finish line. See, I'm going to forget about all this stuff I could enjoy, and I'm not going to look around. I'm going to be like a runner just looking at that moment when I face God because when I face him, then I don't get this chance over again. We get one chance at this life on earth, and it can end at any second for any of us. We've got one chance at this, and then comes eternity. And I'm not going to be fooled. I'm not going to spend my life down here. See, people look at some of my decisions and go, oh, you're so stupid because that's going to really affect this. I go, no, you're stupid because it's going to affect all of this. Man, I, I, I'm serious. I, I look. I look at the way people live and I go, wow, that is so crazy. You are so crazy. You're going you're gonna to do that right now, just to enjoy right now, not even knowing if you have tomorrow and you think that's smart and that I'm dumb, it doesn't make any sense. Paul goes, I'm not going to look around at all this stuff. And it's tempting. It's tempting to all of us. That's what I'm saying. Down here, it's crazy because everyone lives that way. Everyone lives for the red part. No one's thinking about the millions of years afterwards. It's, it's just a crazy deception that we can't get out of our minds. And Paul goes, I'm not doing that. He goes, I keep my eyes on that. I keep my eyes on that finish line, and I'm going to forget what's behind me. I'm not looking around. I'm just going to, I'm straining, because I'm straining. Put the, take that camera and play it right Well, I was pretty convicted when I looked at that. I'd, I'm guilty. I spent a lot of time thinking about what it, I want to get out of this life and this earth and things that I want to do physically here before eternity. And I'm, I get confused about that. <clears throat> so, this idea of simple obedience, how do we choose to act? How do we choose to obey even when we don't understand why? Our worldview is important. How we think about what, why the world exists is important. What's coming next is important to help us think about. But that doesn't, didn't really provide all the answers for me. So I pressed in even more. And I asked the question again, how do we choose obedience when we don't understand why? And I looked again at the universe and the creation, and I realized everything that God does is about relationship. And Timothy Keller talks about this. 
God created the universe from relationship. He existed as the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit for eternity together enjoying relationship with each other. The world that we know does not make sense outside of relationship. Why would he? The Christian world doesn't make sense outside of relationship. So relationship is a key. It's the core of everything. He created the universe that we know out of that relationship. So here's relationship in the, in the universe, in the physical world that we know. And in the creation of man, I've already alluded to this a little bit, that the freedom of choice of, that we have, God gave us the freedom to choose whether or not to know him because he wanted our relationship with him to be honest and true and the choice that we make. Not forced, not automatons, not just robots because we're like, there's God, I, you know, if he showed himself to us, we'd be like, hmm, okay, I guess I better do what he says. We really wouldn't have free freedom if he was just there, right? Despite the fact that we'd probably just fall down in awe if he was there in front of us. But <laughs> So he created man and he gave us free choice. And our journey is about that. My, my brother uh, is an atheist too. He doesn't like me saying that. Um, he's like, I'm a non-theist. Like, Whatever, God doesn't exist. You're an atheist, man. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, he, he makes decisions, and we argue all the time about stuff, and it, I just our perspectives are so different because um, we're looking at the world differently. Uh, the creation of the church, too, in, in Ephesians 4.16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. He helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Relationship is in the creation in the physical world, in, in us, and in the communities that we know. This church community is about relationship, and I talked about why I come here. And it's what Kurt's doing, and what I love about this church is because it's about that. And I don't think we can separate our obedience from community, because it's about love, right? It's about relationship. And our individualistic Western culture, where we just think it's all about the choice I get to make, and the thing I want to do for me that's good, we're missing it. I think that's part of our confusion. And I don't think we would know how to obey. We can't choose to obey very well when we're just doing that. We're looking internally. So the, the communities that we're in is about understanding relationship. Um, I talked about the Trinity the last time I was up here, and I, uh, I wanted to just hit on this again. Um, God, the Father, God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, an analogy that Dorothy Sayers writes in the book called The Mind of the Maker, talks about a creative work. And the Godhead, the Trinity, is like a creative work. An artist wants to write a book or create a sculpture or make a painting. They have this vision for the, the work in their mind, and that's the first representation of the work. But then to make it actually tangible, they have to give it form. They have to hammer to chisel or brush to canvas or word on paper and write it down. And now it has another form, and that's like Jesus Christ because it's got some physical, tangible form that we can see. And then that's the holy type of the Holy Spirit. We see the work, and then we're like, oh, you see the painting, you see the sculpture, and it brings you joy. You read the work, and now you know what the author thought at first. So this type of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this creative idea, the creative form, and the creative power, and I won't belabor it. Go read the book, Mind of the Maker. It's good stuff. Uh, 
Matthew, the greatest commandments, Matthew 22, connects us to this, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself, in verse 39. And so we become this representation of God. No one is really going to see who God is unless they see us, and they see us reflecting him and obeying what he's saying to us, and then we're bringing God to other people by being connected in relationship to God, understanding who he is, and being connected to our neighbor and loving our neighbor. So I saw it again. I like, oh, there's this community, this relationship, this key. If we don't understand the why, then pursuing relationship in our communities, I believe, will provide the, the reason, or I should say maybe motivation, and the desire to obey. That if we press into that, when we're seeing something, we're, pressing, we're asking God, what do you want me to do? We don't understand the why. That seems really strange. I don't know why to do that. If we press into the relationships, I believe that we'll see the why. Even if we'll, see, we'll get the motivation if we don't understand the why. I don't know if I'm being clear there. We don't necessarily get the why, but we'll get motivated to act. Right? <clears throat> we won't always find the answers. Our individual has disconnected us and blinded us to this idea of community. We even find ourselves in community. Uh, C.S. Lewis talks a lot about friendship and how we see each other through friendship. And he talks about how when he lost a friend, that he lost a part of himself because now his friends won't see the same side of him that, because their friend is gone. And that makes me re recognize again what Kurt and his family must be going through having lost a brother today. <clears throat> he would even go further in the book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis talks about it this way, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, safe, dark, and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Relationships are vulnerable. Obedience is vulnerability. I've got to let go of something of who I am to then do, act and do something for someone else, to express love to them. <clears throat> And in this vulnerability, in this pursuing relationship and not understanding what God wants to do uh, in us and why we should act, um, life's kind of messy too, right? It's not all kind of worked out. We don't understand. <clears throat> and it requires effort on our part. In our, we'd like to be comfortable and we like to be entertained. We don't really want to work very hard. Very, very guilty. Uh, sometimes it's hard for... My wife did get me to work on the bathroom remodel. We still got one going for a while, right? <laughs> Even conflict, um, families know this, right? Parents to children, discipline, brother and sister, you know, there's always some, some kind of conflict going on. Our relationships have a messiness to them. <clears throat> and we don't always see the results and the benefits of that. I was talking to Bob in the back of the sanctuary today. He said something I hadn't thought about before. You know, someone who's in the military, the 
corporal on the ground doesn't understand what the sergeants and the generals, sergeants maybe, but generals and admirals are talking about at the higher up line than directing them to go somewhere, but they just, they just go. They don't understand all the why. I thought that was an interesting uh, kind of analogy and part of what we're talking about here today. We necessarily see the, the end game. Uh, this messiness, I believe, makes our lives better. I found this TED Talk called How Messy Problems Can Inspire Us. And in this talk, it's, he gave some examples. Uh, one was uh, a jazz pianist who was asked to go perform in Europe in the 1970s, and the piano that they had for him there was out of tune, and it was all tinny in the upper registers, and he got there, and he was like, I don't, I don't want to play that piano. I don't want to perform for you. And the girl who had arranged it just begged him and said, please, I've, you know, I've got 1,500 people here to watch you. Please. And he's had compassion on her, and he went ahead and performed. And they recorded it. Um, I'm not a jazz guy, but Keith Jarrett, anybody know Keith Jarrett? Uh, one of the best-selling solo piano albums of all time was from, and why? Because he had to play it differently. He had to pound on the bass registers more, and he had to use the middle section, and he avoided the upper ranges. And that just created better music. And that's one of the, so this messiness, this unexpectedness, then brought about something good. Um, the, in the talk, he goes on to talk about building jet engines, a thing that's really complicated in an engineering perspective. One approach to, to building something complicated is to take a step-by-step -step approach and test and learn and then tweak and go and make one-step incremental improvement at a time. The problem with that is you can actually get yourself, in, get yourself into a dead end that actually doesn't achieve this, the results that you want. And they've discovered that if you introduce some randomness into the engineering process that then the people doing the work have to deal with, it actually creates something better in the end. I thought that was kind of interesting. And then he gave another mu musical example. Um, there's a guy named Brian Eno who works with lots of famous artists, U2, David Bowie. And uh, he has a deck of cards. And what he, the deck of cards is all these random things that he flips one out and it makes the artist do it. Like everybody change instruments and play something different, right? Or create some jarring sound and now incorporate it into your music or whatever. And they used to have it as a list on the wall and it didn't work because the people would read the list and like, what could we try? Oh, they'd go to the easiest thing every time. But when he put it into a deck of cards, he'd throw out these random things. The messiness made it, made, makes it better. So that was a really interesting uh, video. You could take a look at that if you search for how messy problems can inspire us. So that's maybe a little bit of a, a side, sidebar, right? We're trying to figure out how do we obey? How do we choose when we don't understand why? If we pursue relationships, we've begun to explore this idea of our love and relationship and connectedness and community helps us to act, but it's messy. I wouldn't really do this topic justice if I then didn't go to the prime example of obedience in the Bible, right? Abraham and Isaac. God asked Abraham to take his son up on the mountain as a sacrifice. And he did. This, this whole idea is so strange to us in our Western thought and our, we're so removed from the culture that Abraham lived in. Uh, there's, there's a great sermon on this topic that I listened to from Timothy Keller called The Story of the Lamb. Go search for Timothy Keller's The Story of the Lamb, and he plums this meaning of what it really meant to Abraham. I, I don't have time to really talk about it, and there's a game on, right? 
<laughs> um, God asked him to sacrifice a son, a human being, and his son, and he goes right in. You know, it doesn't seem like he hesitates in the least. We can only understand Abraham's choice in the light of the relationship that he already had with God. So he'd already been talking to him, and God t- told him in Genesis 17:4, you are going to be the father of many nations. And it says that that was credited to Abraham as righteousness because he had faith. And I think we look at that story and we go, faith, oh, I have to have more faith. I, I believe that Abraham just loved God. He just understood what God was trying to do. And he was just, he believed that God was going to accomplish that purpose that he had given to him, the promise that he had given to him. And so this near-term obedience thing of taking his son up on the mountain, was he didn't blink. <clears throat> Abraham was confident that he would take care of him. Romans 4.18, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that the, he would become the father of many nations. So I think here in this prime example of obedience, we can see relationship is key and community is key. A lot of what Keller talks about in that sermon is the context of family and that culture and what it meant and how they knew that there had to be payment and sacrifice. And, and uh, Abraham walked into that. I think there's a lot of aspects of that I don't have time to explore today. But his community, his relationships gave the context for obedience for him and he didn't have to, he didn't think twice. And of course... This story is really just the foreshadowing of the greatest story of all. God credited to Abraham as righteousness because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son, and God knew that he was going to have to sacrifice his son in order to open the way for us to know him again. <clears throat> Hebrews 5.8 as I started looking, okay, what does it mean to Jesus, Jesus in obedience? I found this scripture. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. And I said, learned obedience? What? How did Jesus learn anything? He was God, so he knew everything. And uh, as I thought about that, I realized that he enjoyed this e- eternal community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, they created this universe and the free will human beings that we are. And he would have to become one of us to experience the obedience that God asks of us. So he learned obedience because he experienced it. He came among us and learned what it was like. And in some strange way, even though he was God, he needed to go through that experience. And then we can now take confidence in that he is a redeemer that knows the struggles that we face. Because he's been there. He's faced the choices. He begged God in the garden to take it away. When he looked at the pain that he was going to have to suffer, he didn't. There's another act of obedience, and he didn't want to do that. But that's where he said, not my will, but yours be done. I'll walk in. I'll do it. He experienced the choices of obedience that we have. He understands them. And he made the most difficult choice of all, to lay down his life. I thought maybe that this would be a good time for us to take communion. 
if the, um, you've got it in front of you. Yes, there's not ushers for that anymore. I should know that. So right in front of you, there's some communion cups. Thank you, Adam. And in the bottom cup is a little bit of bread. When Jesus came to obey God, he put himself at our mercy. And we crucified him. Even though he wasn't guilty, he didn't deserve it. If you put it through a court of law, he would not have been guilty. But they gave him the worst death imaginable. And I think he represents for us and he shows us. This, these two cups are kind of this reminder that we have on a regular basis. The act of obedience that he went through in sacrificing his body for us and pouring out his blood which then become the tools we're restored into relationship with God. Father, I pray that as we take this bread, that you would teach us something new about entering into relationship with you. As we press in and we fall in love with you again of the, the sacrifice that you've given to us through your body, that we would recognize the things that you are asking us to do and then that we would have the motivation to do them, to work to step forward even when we don't understand why, that we could obey because we recognize the relationship that you've broken your body for us to give. Reach in and break that and then take the bread together. And Lord, your blood is what cleanses us from sin and helps restore us into right relationship with you. We thank you for the symbol of the, your blood that represents that act. We ask that you would cleanse us, that as you come to us and you make us new, that we would become the creatures that you created us to be from the, before the foundations of the world, that you knew you had a great plan for every single one of us and that you would help us to find that path that you would help us to choose that thing that you're asking us to do and that we'd begin to see our relationships blossom because we're stepping out. We're entering into community. We're laying down our individualism and pressing in to the love relationships that you've placed before us to help us be your creation. Take together. Love breaks down all the hindrances to obedience. And I would leave with you this scripture, Ephesians 3. Pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love for us. 
May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God.